looking out into the world with hopes that I would find an answer to my questions, a vision for my eyes. I put my eye up to the looking glass in hopes that I would see, but the lens, it was broken and the frame was too small. My vision was faded. I saw nothing at all. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us for our new series, Boundless. Today, we're opening up the word together. I'm excited to be back with you. Last week, I got to tell you, Tuesday morning, I, I got up and I was going downstairs to start preparing our Father's Day sermon for church. And immediately, I realized that something was broken inside my body somewhere. My brain wasn't working. I was in this fog. I felt like the room was spinning. I, I couldn't walk. I started throwing up and I had no idea what was happening until I got diagnosed with vertigo, which is something that I have never experienced before and I don't wish on any of you. I spent four days last week laying in my bed, staring at the ceiling, unable to move. Because if I tried to sit up, I'd throw up. If I tried to turn over, the world would start spinning. And so as I laid there, I tried to like figure out how to read my Bible sideways on my phone while I laid on my pillow. And I felt like God's hand was just on top of me, holding me in place day after day. And it was discouraging and isolating. And in the midst of all of it, I, I cried out to God and, and the prayer that I prayed was a question. I said, God, is, is this what rock bottom feels like? And I think the reason that the question came out of me was because we've been in a season for, for months and months where it feels like it's just one thing after another. Now, three and a half months ago, we started a series called Thriving in Place, and I got in front of this camera in my living room, and I talked about the fact that it feels like in the world we're living in, it's just one thing after another, from the fires in Australia to a global pandemic to a quarantine. And I remember thinking through that question, I, I wonder if anything worse is going to happen after this. And three and a half months later, the world is worse than it was three and a half months ago. There's been so much trial, so much tribulation, so much hardship, so much discouragement. And we've seen COVID-19 breed a lot of really hard things from isolation and loneliness to overfull hospitals to unemployment and job loss to a stock market crash to depression to a rise in domestic violence to a suicide rate that is five times the national average. Even this week, I was talking to more people who have close friends who've taken their own lives in the midst of everything, and it just feels like it's one thing after another. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about the murder of George Floyd and how this sparked a, a season in our community and in our country of, of people crying out for justice, crying out for things like this to stop happening, crying for racism to end, crying for injustice to end, crying for a more inequitable world. Protests are happening, riots are happening, looting is happening, and everyone in our world is crying out for things to change. And at the same time, we start seeing division everywhere. If you go on Facebook, you go on Twitter, you're going to see a ton of different diametrically opposed opinions about everything going on. And it feels like a very discouraging time to exist on planet Earth. Well, the question I have for us as we start this series today is, is where is God in all of this? 
You know, if you're a Christian out there, maybe I ask you this question to really think about seriously. My question for you, Christian, is this. Is your God big enough to deal with all these big and complex problems in our world today? You know, chances are, if you're a Christian, you're going to say, Amen, yes, my God is big, he's great, he's mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do, right? We believe that we have a big God, our God is an awesome God, he can do anything. But, but let me ask you again, is your God big enough to deal with the complex problems in our world today? In other words, you who have a big God, where has he been these last three and a half months? I'm not asking that question to, to say that maybe God has been absent, but there's a chance that you're saying, I don't know, I feel like God has been absent these past three and a half months. I feel like he's given up on us. I feel like he's walked away. I feel like he's departed from these people. He's washed his hands with us. He's given us over to our own devices. I feel like God has just said, you know what, I'm done. And maybe you feel like that. You might say, no, no, that's not my God. My, my God is not done with humankind. My God's at work right now. I see my God redeeming this world. I see him changing the culture of this place. I see him working through these frontline workers and being, bringing beauty and hope into a dark place. I see my God at work. He's like that flower bursting through the concrete. He's like that light bursting through the darkness. My God is at work. And yet you might say, I don't think that's how God is at work. I think God's angry. I think God is letting justice roll like we see in Amos. I think he's using these protesters. He's using this violence. He's using these riots. He's using this looting. He's using COVID-19. He's using these deaths to come and bring judgment to a world that has departed from him. You might say, I think that God is coming angrily towards this world. That's where my God's been for three and a half months. My God is furious at the things that are happening, and he is turning over the tables of our society to get people's attention back where it rightfully belongs on him. You might hear that and think, well, that's not my God. My God is not angry. My God is not judgmental. My, my God is crying out for change. He's crying out through these protesters. He's crying out through these voices in our community. He's crying out. As we are crying out, how long, O oh Lord? He is crying out, justice is coming. Now, the truth is, if I surveyed 30 of you <laughs> listening today uh, on where you believe God is in the midst of all of this chaos in the world, I'd probably get 30 different answers. Which today, as we encounter the text of Scripture, I want to say if we get 30 different answers, we've got a big problem. Because we do not serve 30 different gods. We serve one God who is a real being, who has existed eternally into the past, who exists eternally into the future, who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. One real being, one real God. There are not 30 versions of God. There are not 30 perspectives of God. There is one real God. And that is what God has been trying to teach us since the very beginning of when he formed us as his people. You know, the verse that God had all of his people memorize and tied to their own bodies and right on the walls of their homes for generations and generations was Deuteronomy 6, 4 that said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We will love our God with all our mind and all our heart and all our strength. There's one God. And as we start this series, 
I want us to, to take apart kind of the mini version of God that you may have created, maybe even take the vantage point of God that you're holding today, whether you believe in the angry God or the judgmental God or the merciful God or the redeeming God or any other God, the absent God, the given up God, take whatever God that you're calling God today and why don't you put them on a shelf just for a second and we're going to approach the text of scripture and let God tell us who God is as we wrestle with his relationship to the world that he created. The text that I want to look to as we open our series is, is in the book of Isaiah, is in chapter 46. So if you have Bibles, you can open to Isaiah chapter 46. The book of Isaiah is a great book to study deeply in a season like we're experiencing in our country today. You know, Isaiah was written to a people who were in captivity in Babylon. And if you know anything about the history of Babylon and Israel, Babylon was a superpower around the 8th century BC. And one of the things that Babylon did was it went around the world, it captured a ton of different people groups, brought them back to Babylon. And so Babylon became this melting pot of all these different religions and all these different cultures and all these different ethnicities, all trying to strive to live together in unity. And one thing that happens in the Old Testament every time God's people come in contact with people who have diverse religious views is their religious views start to merge and change to mirror the views of the people around them and their view of God starts getting off. And so in Isaiah chapter 46, when, when God approaches his people Israel, he starts by saying, okay, put your attention back on me. Let's go back to square one. He says in verse three, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob. All the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I've upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, listen to me. Look at me. Let's start over. Let me tell you who I am, what I do, where my authority is, and let's get back on track where you come and you worship me, the real God. So listen to me. We're going to look at Isaiah 46 today, so don't close your Bibles. We're going to keep walking right through this. As I was studying it, I I was reminded of this phrase that has been used a hundred different times in a hundred different ways, quoted by a ton of different scholars because it's so pervasive. The one that I gravitated towards this week was the version that Voltaire said, which is that in the beginning, God created man in his own image and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. And what, what this means is that there's something in human beings who have a proclivity of reinventing who God is to suit their own desires. All right, we've all experienced this, right? You probably have friends out there in the world that you've tried to talk to about Jesus or talk to about your faith, and they've said, oh no, you know what? I have a good relationship with God. And they've said something like, oh yeah, I believe that God is just nice, he's just, he loves everybody, he's totally fine with what I'm doing. And as the friend of yours is talking, you're probably thinking, where did you get this view of God? Like you you know you literally just made it up, right? right? There's no book that you read to get that. There's no holy text that you pulled that from. Like You just invented a God in your own mind and you've decided to live your life to follow this fictitious God that you've created. This is what human beings love to do. Right in Isaiah 46, God actually makes fun of the people of Babylon for inventing powerless gods all the time. Right, He says in, in verse... In verse 6, he says, Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on their scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and then they bow down and worship it. They lift it up to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. 
From its spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. And God says there's something in the human condition that we just love to create these little false and mini versions of God who are powerless, who are unable to deal with the real problems of this world, who cannot hear us when we pray because we literally invented them in our own brains or with our own hands. You know, it's one thing when we see that happening with people who are far from God, who've never learned about Jesus, who aren't part of the Christian family. Like, we get that, but... I think for me, and maybe for you too, in this last season, it's been way more disconcerting to see Christian people who say they believe in Jesus invent their own versions of God to suit their own desires and agendas. I got an email a month or two ago from somebody, kind of right in the midst of the lockdown and COVID, and it's when people are starting to cry out about the church reopening, and, and this person had this angry email that he brought towards me, and he called me a coward. He said that I lacked faith. He said that our church was sinful. And he brought this verse up from Hebrews that said, you should not uh, forsake gathering together. That God says, he said, God says we need to gather together. You are being disobedient to the scriptures by the way that your church is not gathering during COVID-19. And so he's trying to put all of his weight on this little piece of scripture that doesn't even mean what he says that it means. But as I'm reading the email, I see that the bigger platform that he's standing on is his, his own politic. He's got these conspiracy theories about COVID-19. He's got this, these theories about the government and its control over our lives. He has this loneliness where he just wants to be with God's people. He has this love for the church where he wants to be back together. But as he reads this little text that he found that just encapsulates everything he feels, he tries to stand on this text and push forward his agenda and speak for the Lord in a confrontative way. And I'm thinking, this is not what God is saying. This is what this God that you've invented is saying. That's not the real God. This happens all the time. I've been, this week has been so hard laying in bed all week. There's nothing to do but scroll through Facebook, which is not a fun place to be in these times. And I'm seeing so many people who call themselves Christians who have so many opinions about what God believes, about race, about racism, about equality, about justice, about things happening in this world. And 90% of what I'm seeing where people are quoting what God feels about this, I'm reading and thinking, there's no way that that's what God feels about this. I saw someone talking about race being a social construct and how there's only one race, the human race, and God doesn't even see race. And so why are we making a big deal about something that God doesn't care about? And I'm thinking, have you read the Bible? Right? Yes, the Bible starts with Adam and Eve, but then the Bible very quickly shows how from one couple, God created all the nations of the world. And the story of the scriptures is how God takes over the entire world with a diverse group of people. And then he sets forth this vision of someday a diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic gathering of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who can assemble under King Jesus and be unified in their diversity. Like this is one of the most biggest thematic issues in the scriptures and when folks just dismiss it by taking one of the first verses of the Bible and saying, look, in the first couple, there was just one race, two humans. Like you don't, you don't see the whole picture. You've got a strong opinion, but it's, it's not God's opinion. There are people talking about how as a church, we shouldn't get involved in, in things like racism and things like inequality and things like justice, that we should just preach the gospel 
And for folks who are saying that, I, I, I want to encourage those folks to look and see what the scriptures say the gospel does, that when the gospel comes, it's preached to all nations. And this gathering of people from all over the world happens that in the church, in the book of Acts, in the church, in the epistles, one of the biggest issues is how to create a beautiful multicultural gathering where all people from all backgrounds are equal in Christ. And the one of the biggest things that marks the church as distinct from the world is it's an eclectic group of people from all types of backgrounds who've chosen to live in unity under their king named Jesus. And it's the biggest apologetic for the truth of the gospel is the fact that this diverse group of people live in harmony in community. It's absolutely related to the ministry of the gospel. The Bible's clear on so many things, and yet so many people are taking these little texts out of context, and they're saying, this is what God feels about this, or this is what God feels about that. I saw somebody talking about how it's not the church's job to get involved in, in areas of justice, in, in areas of inequality, that the church should pray, of course, the church should fast, of course. We pray that God does the work, but, but it's just our job to pray. And I was reminded of, of Isaiah, where Isaiah deals with this very thing, where he says, do you really think that's what I want, is for a church to be praying and fasting, hungry and sad, asking me to change the world? Isaiah says, this is the fast that I require, a fast that looses the bonds of slavery, a fast that frees the oppressed, a fast that brings justice into the world. I don't just want my people to pray about my issues. I want my people to put feet to their prayers. And if you're going to exert spiritual effort in changing the world, do something, God says. Now, there's a ton of issues that are connected to all of these different things, and all I'm trying to bring out today is two things. One, I feel like as a church, we need to do a better job of equipping our Christian people with what the scriptures say about what's happening in the world today. And two, as Christian people, we need to be very careful before we assume to speak for God, because a lot of times... The words that we say are not the words that God says he would say about the issues we're facing in the world today. You know, when we speak out of turn, when we take verses out of context, when we assume to speak for God in places that he has not spoken, we break two of the Ten Commandments at once, right? We've made an idol, a false god, and we've used the Lord's name in vain. We've used God's name to promote our own agenda, our own ideology, or at the very least, an ideology that he himself is not promoting. Jesus says in Matthew 12 that we as his people will be judged by every empty word that we speak. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us that he who speaks should speak as if he's speaking the very words of God. And I know that primarily applies to someone like me who's claiming to speak for God all the time from the scriptures, but for all of us as Christians, as we open our mouths, and especially as we open our mouths and try to attach the scriptures or open our mouths and try to say, this is what God feels, let's be very careful that when we represent God, we don't speak out of turn. There's a lot that, that we say about who God is, but when we look at Isaiah 46, here's what God says about who God is. He says, some people like to make false mini versions of God that are not God. He says in verse eight, remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. And then he says this, I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
He says a few verses later, I say, my purpose will stand and I do all that I please. And when God opens his mouth and represents himself, he says two things. He says, number one, I'm in charge. And number two, I do whatever I want. Now, the Bible word for that is sovereignty. God is sovereign. You may have heard people say that God is sovereign. That means that God is charge, God is in charge, and God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. Right? He says later in this verse, I see a bird of prey in the east, I send it out to do my bidding. I see a human, I send him out too. I do what I want, and I am in charge. The word, word sovereign is a noun and an adjective. In terms of being a noun, that means that God is sovereign, means that he is king. He is the ruler. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is above all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Paul says of Jesus in Colossians 1, that Jesus is above all things, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are in him and for him created. He's the head of his body, the church. He's the firstborn among those who have risen from the dead, so that in all things, Paul says, Jesus might have the preeminence. He is the preeminent one, the leader, the king, Jesus, our God is sovereign. He has all power. And sovereign is also an adjective, which does not just mean that he is in authority, but he possesses the power to live out his authority. God is sovereignly ruling over planet earth. God is sovereign over the events of human history. God can, through his hand, do anything he wants. All that happens in the world has to come through the hands of our sovereign God because he is powerful enough and he has the authority to do anything and everything he wants all the time. That's what God says about himself. And one of the things I notice about those of us who are kind of preaching these little facets of God, but not preaching our big, big God, is a lot of times the God that we're promoting on Facebook seems pretty small and powerless, right? He has opinions about things. He has different stances on things. But a lot of times when we're just posting these things with these mini gods, that God is not very big at all. And the God of the scriptures stops to say, don't be like the other nations. Don't create idols out of God. Don't synchronize yourself with all these different people and all their different worldviews. Remember this, look back at who I've always been. I am God, I am in charge, and I am big enough to handle everything that's happening in our world today. Could, be, could God be using COVID-19 to bring judgment to the world? Absolutely. Could God be using COVID-19 as an opportunity for us to realize that our maker is real and we need to repent? Absolutely. Could God be allowing COVID-19 to come into our world, but what he's doing is trying to bring redemption through it? Absolutely. Right? Could God use a terrible event like the murder of George Floyd to change the world? Absolutely. Could God be punishing our country for 400 years of systemic and continued racist aggression in all ways towards people of color? Absolutely. God can do anything and God will use everything happening in our world to promote his purposes, whether it's something that brings us joy, something that brings us terror, something that brings us fear, something that's hard, something that's easy. God is absolutely in control and everything in human history comes through his hands. 
if you're a Christian, you might be saying, amen, that's awesome, right? And maybe you're watching TV right now and you see this happening, you think, man, this is great. We serve this big and awesome God. And, and then you're gonna get up from your couch, you're gonna open the front door and you've forgotten that the world is on fire out there. It, it's easy to believe that God is really big until these things start relating to real life. And we start asking those questions, God, if you're in charge, why is this stuff happening? God, if you are, sovereign over planet Earth. Why is the world so hard right now? God, if you've got strong opinions about what's happening, why don't you tell us what those opinions are? Why are you so silent? Why are we having to guess? Why does everyone have to go on Facebook and pretend to believe what you're saying? Why don't you just say it? Open the heavens, declare it to us out loud, guys, because we are having a really hard time down here. It's hard to know how we're supposed to respond to a God who says, I'm in charge, I do what I want, but the world we live in is broken and breaking and hard. And when we look at this text, there's not a lot of things that God commands us as his people to do in response to this. But there is one theme that comes out several times in Isaiah 46, and this is the theme of us being people who have a posture of humble, submissive, listening. You know, the only commands I see for God's people in Isaiah 46 are, are commands like in verse 3 where he says, listen to me, <laughs> you descendants of Jacob. I think of commands like we see in, in verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I see in verse 8 the commands to God's people when he says, remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. There's not a lot that God calls us to do in response to his sovereignty besides accept it, listen to it, take in what he's saying, and, and humbly come before him and say, God, I, I hear you. You're in charge. I trust you. What do you want from me? You know, the posture that God calls us as his people to have towards his power and authority in this world is a posture of humble submission. Right? If God is sovereign, if he is the king, if God is sovereign, he has all power, then we as his subjects are supposed to just bow before him and submit to his rule. And if you're a Christian, one of the reasons you would say you're a Christian is because you're a person who has submitted to God. You've handed your life over to God. And yet a lot of times as we look at the way that Christians live in the world today, they don't look like submissive people. They look like angry people. They look like heated people. They look like opinionated people. They look like people who think they have all the answers. They look like people who want to say what God believes. God says, I'm big enough to handle the things of this world. Why don't you submit to me and humbly walk with me and let me be God and you be human. You know, I was thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this week in terms of this uh, coming before a big God where Solomon tells us that when, uh, when we go near the house of God, he says, guard your steps. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. And he says this, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Let your words be few. I love the bumper video before our sermon today that Chris Rodriguez, our college ministry director, wrote for us. I wanted to read it for you because I feel like it encapsulates in this text what it feels like to be someone who's trying to make sense and trying to make light of what's happening in the world today. And Chris says this, looking out into the world, 
with hopes that I would find an answer to my questions, a vision for my eyes. Put my eye up to the looking glass in hopes that I would see, but the lens, it was broken and the frame was too small. My vision, it was fading. I saw nothing at all. If you're someone who's having a hard time right now because you're trying to catch a glimpse of what God's doing and you can't see it and you're trying to throw stuff out there on Facebook or in your community, trying to speak for God, let me just give you the freedom to, to not have to speak for God. Let me give you the freedom to not have to know what God's doing. Let me give you the freedom to not fully comprehend what's happening in the world today. And let me encourage you like we see in Isaiah 46, like we see in Ecclesiastes 5, like we see all over the scriptures, to be okay with the fact that God is in charge and he doesn't always tell you everything he's doing. As I've been connecting with different folks in our church and folks in our faith community, in terms of the broader church network here in the East Bay, I've got to talk to a lot of amazing people who are going through a lot of hard times right now. People who are discouraged, people who are isolated, people who are alone. I've talked to a lot of folks uh, in our church community who are people of color or people who have been marginalized or people who have been oppressed in the systems of our society today. And I've heard so many amazing stories of people who have humbled themselves through really hard circumstances. And as I've asked them, how do we as a church respond to this? How do we understand what's happening and respond to these things? The encouragement that we've received is right now, just listen, lament, learn. Take a humble posture, not just towards God, but take a humble posture towards the events of this world and learn what you can. Don't be quick to lead. Don't even be quick to go out and live out change in your life. Slow down and take a posture of humility and learn and listen and lament before you move forward. If you're not sure what God's doing and you're trying to speak for him, you don't have to speak for him. God can speak for himself. And a lot, a lot, I know a lot of us feel this weight where it's like we have to carry God into the public arena. We got to carry God into Facebook, right? We got to carry God onto Twitter. We got to carry God to Thanksgiving someday and talk to our friends or talk to our family. And it gets really heavy to try to carry God into all of these hostile environments. And one thing I noticed as I look at Isaiah 46 is that the word carry is used a lot. You could read it this week, especially in the first like four or five verses. And every time the word carry is used in terms of human beings carrying things, they're carrying idols. <laughs> the author of Isaiah, Isaiah says, it's hard to carry an idol. They're heavy, they're gold, they're silver, they're weighty. You put them on your shoulders. You got to lift them up on these things. It's hard to carry a fake God. But the word carry is also used of God himself. When God says, this is my posture towards my people, I carry you. If you've been someone who's had to carry God into a lot of heavy places, let me just encourage you, you might be carrying a fake God, and maybe you need to let that God down, and you need to let our God carry you through this next season. Now, this is what Jesus taught, isn't he? When he didn't he? When he said, uh, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, come and find rest for your souls. And if you are weighted down by trying to carry God all over the place, I really want to encourage you this week to take some time to say, God does not need you to carry him anywhere. God wants to carry you through a season where you are fatigued and lonely. So release your grip on a need to speak for God and let God speak for himself. 
Read through his word and see what he feels about these things. Come at the posture of humility towards the issues of this world. Study, read, learn. Go to the text and read who God is. Let him speak to you. And as you learn who God is, let him transform you into his image. And you'll be a humble bearer of truth as you walk into the world. I was really encouraged this week by thinking about uh, the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. There's a story in Acts 17 where Paul goes into Athens and he has to step into a context much like ancient Babylon. Athens was a place where it was a port city and people were coming in from all over the world bringing different religions, different gods, different idols. And one of the things that would happen in Athens was there was this big mountain called the Acropolis and all these people would come up on Mars Hill and they would give a pitch, like a real estate pitch, of why their god deserved a house on the Acropolis. And they put different statues to Athena or statues to Artemis or statues to Zeus, statues to all these gods in different houses all over the place. And then the apostles Paul showed up bringing his God Jesus to Athens and as he stands before the elders on Mars Hill he says this he says my God who created the heavens and the earth does not live in houses made by human hands Paul says my God is he's boundless he's not contained He's not located in a specific geographic region. He is not someone you can put in a box. My God has no bounds. He is anywhere and everywhere. He has created all of this place. As we close our time today in the text, I want to read Paul's speech in Acts 17. And I want you to listen with a posture of humility. Because Paul describes hundreds of years later the same God that God himself is describing in Isaiah and God himself describes throughout the Bible and God shows how he relates to the diverse culture of the world, the religious culture of the world we live in today. I want to read this for you. This is Acts chapter 17, Paul's speech in Athens. It says in verse 24, The God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he had appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. As you go this week, Humble yourself before our almighty, sovereign God and begin a process of learning that his power, his authority, his reign, and his rule is truly boundless. Amen.